Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. Today we're joined by my father again, Rick Altizer, who now has had his film go to theaters and now it's it's out of theaters. Sorry you missed it. Um, you will be able to watch it on streaming soon and buy the DVD and stuff. Uh, we actually kind of killed two birds with one stone with this episode. Uh, he actually has a radio show like on Real Radio, FM radio station here in Nashville. Um, I actually interviewed him for his uh, podcast slash radio show. His is kind of restrained by these time limits because he has commercial breaks and all this stuff. So we kind of did these really tight 25-minute episodes. We did two episodes, and then we continue on our conversation for the Golden Hour podcast. So if it feels kind of spliced together, uh, that's why. It's because the first half of this interview uh, we did for his radio show, which you can listen to at rickaltizer.com. Or if you happen to live in Nashville, what's the radio station? It's Bot Radio 89.1 FM. There you go. So if you happen to live here in Tennessee or surrounding areas, uh, check it out on Bot FM. But yeah, let's just begin my conversation with my dad on his podcast, uh, and then we'll continue on the Golden Hour show from there. I'm interviewing you on your show. All right. It's kind of a meta universe kind of a thing here. But um, yeah, I mean... You've directed four movies now, five, five, five documentaries. Um, and the m- most amazing thing about it is uh, the first one that you did was your first ever anything f- film related <laughs> other than making, you know, random videos for with me, obviously, right. Matthew and I, we would make all sorts of silly videos growing up and then you always knew how to edit, you know, um, in a basic way with Sony Vegas and with Windows Movie Maker. Um, I think you even knew how to use Premiere back in the day, too, like the older CS3. Yes, um, when I had the horse on the cover. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh Those are great, great days. (laughs) And that's how I learned, too, where it was on the original Adobe software. Um, But I feel like you've told this story multiple times about the Shonda film, but can you just briefly explain again how you went from music producer to all of a sudden documentarian? Um, keep it brief because I know you've told this story multiple times. Well, but. I was working with Shonda Pierce, helping her with marketing and with music, and she said, I want to make a movie. I said, mm-hmm. I don't know how to make a movie, but I can do a demo tape yeah. like we used to in the old days. A little three-song cassette tape you'd send to a record company to get a record deal. If they liked it, they'd put you in a real studio. So I said, mm-hmm. why don't I go on the road with you? for a weekend and get five minutes and maybe somebody will like it. And so I went on the road with her, got 16 minutes. Mm -hmm. Her and her manager said, Rick, we want you to make this. We love it. And she feels comfortable talking with me. And so from there we made uh, laughing in the dark. The first thing I'd ever done, I had no training, no nothing. And Mm -hmm. it was a fathom event, which was in theaters for one, one night. And it was the number five movie in America. The night it came out. So kind of amazing, amazing story of how that even happened. The reason that I, I I think it's important to say all all that is because that is not repeatable. Other people can't just uh, if they want to be documentarians themselves or filmmakers, you can't just stumble up ac- across a person that's then going to offer you a, a job that you kind of do it for free and then it turns into a theatrical release. And I think the most important p- piece of the puzzle is the fact that you had what, 30 years of experience in the music industry. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, one of the things that I kind of discovered in my recent interview with your mother, my grandmother, is that your you and your entire family had a baseline understanding of filmmaking and storytelling because you watched so many movies growing up. You consumed a lot of media as a child. 
Um, it may have been an escape for you as a younger boy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and it was just something that was kind of ingrained in you, uh, in your family. I mean, when I talked to your mother, she grew up going to the movie theaters. It was a different generation. There was no TV or video games. And the only kind of interesting thing to do in a small town was go to a theater. So there is this baseline understanding of filmmaking and storytelling that I, I feel like you grew up with. So it's not a surprise that you have kind of an understanding of story. Uh, how would you explain that? How, yeah, I, how I see you... it as a, as a two, a, a kind of a, a page, you know, two pages, page one and page two. One is is just being able to understand story and tell story and communicate. But I think communication is a whole other part of that. And, yeah. you know, you're talking about my mom. My mom and I communicated very well. I grew up with a lot of communication. We mm. talked. We talked about everything. And, and we communicated. And so communication for me, I mean, here I'm on a radio show. I'm interviewing people. I'm talking. Mm-hmm. It's something, you know, and then you ended up getting the gift of gab. <laughs> yeah, I'm but, communicating to you right now yeah, on the show. But it's something <laughs> It's something that I have, have done my whole life is – uh, I, I have all these guy friends that I go out to lunch with and I mm. ask them questions and they tell me things. Yeah. I have many men that, you know, it's it's kind of like a like men's ministry thing that I've always had where I'll talk to them and I'll ask them questions. I'll ask them hard questions. How's your yeah. marriage? How, you know, are, are you struggling with porn? I mean, we talk about stuff that a lot of guys don't talk to and they say, Rick, sure. I've, I've never told this to anyone ever. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many times I've had people talk to me and tell me, I'm telling you something I've never told anyone before. <laughs> Where does that come from? How do you naturally get good at that? <laughs> you know, it's just, and that really does tie into what we'll probably talk about today about the art of the of the documentary interview. It's about asking questions. You know, being, so many times you have a friend, and we've all got these friends, where you go out to lunch with them and they just talk about themselves. They're just mm-hmm. nonstop. They never ask you a question. Yeah. You know? And if you're listening to this, don't be that guy. Don't be that person. <laughs> you know, don't be the person who just talks about themselves and never asks a question of the person you're with. Mm-hmm. And I've had that. You, you go out with someone and they never ask you anything. I mean, I'm making movies mm-hmm. and they won't ask me. Any, they just talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. Or and, and we we all fall into that. I mean, I fall into that too. So and, and when I'm on the other that. side of that, yeah. when I'm with somebody and they don't ever say, "How are you doing?" How, you you know, you just you kind of feel like, well, they don't really. They don't care. Yeah, they don't care. So I've never wanted to be that guy. And my mom uh, was very much ingrained that in us, you know, very <laughs> considerate, very kind, very loving. So I would always ask questions. I've just always been that guy who would interview people. And I remember mm-hmm. in the eighth grade, uh, someone paid me a quarter to uh, a girl paid me a quarter to do uh, like therapy with her and oh. i would just talk to her <laughs> i never heard and that ask story. her That's questions funny. yeah sherry yeah. battle was her name <laughs> and she paid me to just talk to her and, and ask her questions and let mm-hmm. her talk about stuff and so um there really is and that's helped me to have really strong relationships so then coming into mm-hmm. with with shonda i'd already had that kind of that history of engaging and asking questions and yeah um I remember when we did in that first movie, we interviewed Shonda and her husband, mm-hmm. and they had been separated. He had been drinking, and um, they were, she was doing the tough love, and they were separated, and we did an interview with them, and it was pretty intense. And I remember in the car, on the way back from the cabin, mm-hmm. you said, that was like a therapy session. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, 
And so, and it was. And around that time too, I remember you and mom were starting to go to counseling more regularly as well. So it was probably fresh on your mind and you were learning how to talk to couples because you were being talked to. Yes. So there's so many life experiences that if somebody listening to this is young in, in their early 20s or something, sometimes it's kind of frustrating because you see in your head what you want to achieve in your 20s, but you know, you're, you have all this experience in the music industry as a storyteller, as a therapist, as a person who listens. You've got, you know, 40 years on a 20-year-old in terms of just life experience. And I think it's fascinating, too, that you've stumbled into documentaries because you don't necessarily need to be a cinematographer to shoot a documentary. Um, but you do need to understand how to capture good audio. And of course, as a producer, a music producer, that was the one thing that you really could do. So it kind of worked out perfect that it was a perfect marriage and a perfect storm of preparation over your lifetime of being a good listener, a good communicator, and also understanding story. I think that is a crucial thing that you may not have even thought about that I just recently kind of realized. If you've never seen a movie before, how do you know how a movie works? Like, you saw so many films that it was just part of your natural language of like understanding how a story is told through uh, film. Um, all those things combined like make, and you watched a lot of music documentaries. I know that for sure. <laughs> so you understood how good documentaries are made, how good story was made and how good audio is captured. Mm -hmm. All those things combined, you can even leave out the visual aspect. That's just kind of secondary. And, uh, with that first, with those first two or three movies, I kind of helped you with, with that. And, uh, you eventually started working with John Melton and Dave Oglesby with this recent, uh, film, uh, my buddies Jeffrey Holland and Nick Serban helped you with some of them as well. And Dakota, I think, shot some stuff. So um, the visual aspect is almost secondary. And I think a lot of people listening may think they obsess over the lenses and the cameras and the lighting. And you look at a lot of the HBO documentaries and the films that are on Netflix and the documentaries are really well shot and they look like films. But sometimes they're empty. They don't have any depth yeah, to them. They're beauty pieces. They're beauty pieces. So yep. um and the, the film, the documentary films that typically uh, win Oscars are more focused on the on the story. And that's the most you yeah. know crucial part. So before we get into all the technical, um, can you talk about that and how you develop a good story first? Or even I don't even know how a documentary is really made. I mean, you can't really write it necessarily. Yeah, well, I just do want to say, too, you're mentioning a bunch of photographer, <laughs> uh, c cinematographers that were helping with me, but you did leave out one very important person whose name was David Altizer, who was <laughs> my director of photography. So, yeah, great, yeah, yeah. great visuals from my son. It's great having a talented filmmaker as a son because that <laughs> helped so much to well. make my, my uh, little documentaries actually look like uh, films. But, yeah, you know, as far as story goes... I had this conversation with the Kendrick brothers who had never made a documentary before. You know, they've made uh, feature length films, uh, Courageous, Fireproof, War Room, Overcomer, mm -hmm. uh, Facing the Giants, you know, very popular Christian films and that you, were all scripted. And your most recent film, Show Me the Father, is produced by the Kendrick brothers. Yeah, they, they, so. we, they, they, they were the executive producers of yeah. it. And um, so uh, this is their first foray into documentary. And so what I told them, because they were mentioning that same thing about stories, I said, Every documentary you make, you think it's going to be one thing and you start filming it. And I promise you, it will become something else. It will mm. change. It, it will not be what you think. It's it's a we have a topic. We're going to talk about the fatherhood of God. We're going to talk about fatherhood. 
And so we know it's going to be that topic, but we're not going to know. Mm-hmm. It's not like a scripted piece where you know what you're going to end up with. Because I'm going to sit down and talk to somebody, and I think I know what we're going to talk about, but you never know where it's going to go. So yeah. you have to keep that open mind to let the documentary do what it wants to do. We started out with Shonda Pierce. It was going to be a movie about a Christian comedian. She's the top-selling female comedian in history, mm-hmm. got an award from the RIAA. So what's the top-selling female comedian in history? What's her life like on the road as a comedian? Well, this whole other story happens with her daughter not being est- being estranged from her, her husband being distraught, starting to drink, an alcoholic. And then as we're making the movie, mm-hmm. he literally drinks himself to death and dies mm-hmm. in the middle of while we're filming this doc. Yeah. So it became a whole other movie. And you have to be mm-hmm. aware. You have to be sensitive. You have to be listening. So um, that that movie that he's referring to is Shonda Pierce laughing in the dark. You can see it, I think, on Amazon Prime. Prime. Yeah, it's Amazon there. Amazon Prime, if you like. D- to don't see judge it. me. There's a lot of. That's it's the my first, first one. one. So the story, <laughs> the storytelling is fabulous, and the, like you said, I mean, the things that happened were insane. But um, yeah, it was the first one. Me so. with a. a T3i and a Sigma lens on autofocus. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I want to correct you. Every time you say that, the T3i did not have autofocus for video. You would push it halfway, it would focus, and then you hit record and it stops autofocusing. So you didn't even have autofocus back then. Oh, maybe that's why it was going out of focus. <laughs> because it, it doesn't move. Yeah, it doesn't have dual pixel autofocus on it. So, so. when you see it and you see the, the stuff going in and out of focus, <laughs> that's that's me filming. It's Well, yeah. So the T3i, yeah, you, you push the button to record. It focuses <laughs> on your subject when you hit record. But then once it's recording, it doesn't focus anymore. Oh, that's funny. That's yeah, funny. So. So so anyway back uh, yeah so so that's kind of with story is that <laughs> you you have an idea mm-hmm. but you can't go in with a scripted piece or an idea you mm-hmm. can't make it too too exact because unless you're doing change. a unless you're doing like a uh, you know e entertainment will do like a the history of the eighties rock and roll yeah sure and then they just interview uh, the guy from Poison and uh, right. you know c- a couple of people and they say hey talk about uh, Van Halen you know right. or whatever and then they just kind of whatever but that's a different type of documentary sure. right yeah so. and, and there's also uh, you know maybe more political things that might have a, a, a slant. And so you're wanting to talk about something specific, mm-hmm. uh, those, informational things. Those food documentaries, you know, it's yeah. all about, you know, this one topic and they have all these statistics. Right. And Eating sugar is bad for you. And so I'm going to make a documentary on how bad sugar is for you. Sure. So, so I mean, there's different kinds of, of things. But even in that, mm-hmm. the, things will morph and change. And you've got to be, you know, yeah. willing to follow it because it can become something different. And that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. What I found... Uh, with the first documentary I did was with Shonda was that I was asking her questions that she had hadn't really talked about before. Mm-hmm. So what made it powerful was that she was processing mm-hmm. as we're talking mm-hmm. and you're seeing her discover something about herself that she might not have vocalized before. And that is so powerful. If you can, if you can, have a conversation with someone. So are we, do you want to talk about technical yet or wh- where do you want to go from here? Yeah. I mean, we're just finishing that, this one point, which is 
again, compared to the Kendrick brothers with a narrative film, every single moment is completely planned out because it is all dependent on the budget. And every minute that you're wasting is a waste of money. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you have a crew that's there to light a scene exactly how it needs to be shot. The actors perform exactly as the script is written. They go from point A to point B. There's literally tape on the ground for where they're supposed to stand and the focus puller will pull focus not even looking at the screen just based on data and numbers based on how far the subject is from the lens so every single thing down to the positioning of the people is completely planned out um i mean they sh- they blast light through a window to simulate sun right. so that they don't rely on the sun uh for their lighting you know so that's complete contrast to a documentary which is what you're saying right which is you may have a somewhat idea what you're doing but for the most part the subjects that you're interviewing may completely steer and deter what your plan originally was for the documentary yes so 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 what i do when i do the interviews because what i'd I'd really love to talk about the interview process well that's my next question okay great (laughs) i'm asking the questions here all right all Uh, right son (laughs) so what is the best way to interview someone (laughs) (laughs) well i'll tell you here's here's what i've learned um when I sit down with someone, I, I will tell them, we're just going to have a, a conversation. I, I say, this is like you and I are at Starbucks or at your favorite restaurant, mm-hmm. and we're sitting down and we're having a conversation. A lot of times you'll interview people who might be professional speakers. You know, yeah. They might be uh, uh, musicians or actors, or, mm-hmm. and being on is part of their job. Well, you had, they, yeah, you had Tony Evans, who's a professional speaker. He's got his own cadence, the way he he's speaks. He's a pastor. He, he can get into pastor <clears throat> mode. He can get into... Uh, teaching mode and preaching mode. And he's used to speaking on a stage in front of a thousand people. So it's a different performance than on an intimate and it's camera. A, and, in it's the lens. A, and it's an excellent, he's an excellent communicator, uh-huh. but he, he can be very over, you know, very much in, in, a, in a mode. And so yeah. when I sat down with Tony, I said, you know, you have this thing you do mm-hmm. when, when you're on the platform and it's wonderful and it's great. I want to be very affirming. I say, but what I'm looking for is just, a very intimate conversation mm-hmm. to where, and then I would even say to where you're not on, mm-hmm. you're just Tony. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you and I are at Cracker Barrel uh-huh. and just having a conversation. I love Cracker Barrel. And Tony being the consummate pro that he was, I love Cracker Barrel too. Yeah, biscuits, macaroni, uh, come cheese. Come on. <laughs> Tony being the pro that he is, he totally got that. Yeah. And I've had many people. He nailed people, it too. And I've had people who have worked with Tony who, mm-hmm. who, who, uh, videotape Tony. And, I, mean, I videotaped Tony. Yeah. I went to Baltimore with Tony. And, yeah, <laughs> the hottest and so, week of the entire uh, <laughs> decade. Uh, I, ha- I had crabs with Tony oh, they, and his yeah. friend in Baltimore with his parents um, years when ago. they were alive. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. That's so funny, the, 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 the points of contact that we have. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he, I've had people say that in that, in that film that they heard uh, – a tone from him that they they don't they haven't heard before. A Tony tone, a Tony if we tone. will. And we got a Tony um, tone. So so being able to to have them feel comfortable. Yeah. To have him feel uh, vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't uh, I don't do a pre-interview mm-hmm. with them um, because I don't want it to be something that's rehearsed. That mm-hmm. then they I ask them again and now they've already said it once. So now it's now they're performing it. Yeah. Instead of communicating it, so I don't go in with. A pre-interview. Yeah. I'll, uh, like with Sherman Smith, 
the one of the guys main characters in uh, the show me the father documentary mm-hmm. we had lunch together and we got to know each other and that's but, a great idea but to do I, that. but i didn't talk about if he started getting into the story i said you know let's wait save it let's wait because <laughs> i wanted to get it fresh yeah. You know, well, I found with the podcast that I host, like having a pre-talk, especially with somebody you've never met, um, can really get them off. You know, and and just by dis- disarming them with normal questions, like "What'd you eat for lunch today?" instead of going straight to the point, uh, can get them to be more normal. Um, and I think the best guy in the world at this is Joe Rogan. If you've ever listened to Joe mm-hmm. Rogan, he does these two and a half hour podcasts with Elon Musk, and he's able to get so uh, intimate and normal with these superstars um, because he just cuts straight to the chase and also just kind of throws them off, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyways. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, I think um, being able to be relational with him, I don't go in with notes. I don't have a notepad on my lap that I'm looking down at while they're talking. I'm looking down, looking away. Yeah. You know, I'm keeping eye contact the entire conversation, mm-hmm. which can be exhausting. You yeah. know, you can do a three hour interview sometimes. And when that interview is done, I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not, I can't show it, but I am wiped out because I'm eye to eye, eye contact the whole time. And if they're talking about something that was scary, I'm making a scary face. And if they're, <laughs> you know, if they're, talking about something humorous i'm giving a big smile and a laugh and i'm making sure mm-hmm. they're feeling validated they're being heard mm-hmm. but i'm also listening mm-hmm. um, i'm listening very carefully because i'm hearing what they're saying mm-hmm. because then that's going to you know that's going to lead into the next question based on what they're saying and they might c- say something that I know is connecting with another person who said something, mm-hmm. and then I can help them connect some dots. I'll say, you know, that reminds me of this, 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 and that. Would you mind commenting on that? Mm-hmm. And so then they can can say back. But so much of the interview is being in the moment, paying attention, listening, and um, asking probing questions. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I uh, like to say is, you can give me information. That's one conversation. Here's what happened. You know, that's that's a conversation. Mm-hmm. How did you feel? How did that make you feel? Mm-hmm. You know, how did you? That's a whole other conversation. That's the human element that is so crucial to convey emotion for people to feel connected to the subjects. Um, and there's a difference between Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show asking questions and being a, an interviewer for a documentary. Even the 60 Minutes guys always come in with some sort of angle, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, you look at tell you don't want to study podcasters and TV show hosts uh, on interviewing for a documentary. You want to study the best documentaries ever made and think about the questions that were asked of these people. Um, it's a different skill set than Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show mm-hmm. because he's I've noticed because I study yeah. him like he's just going point to point entertainment comedy. Fun, you know, the, he's not really thinking about the well, overarching story. When, when that guest shows up, they have a publicist mm-hmm. who gives Jimmy Fallon. Here are the questions we want you to ask. Sure. You know, we want to talk about this. And oh, by the way, this 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 artist 
had this situation in his life that's just like the situation in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so they'll they'll there's there's mm-hmm. a list and, and you've or if got it's a comedian, them. they have they'll plan a joke, you know. Right. Jimmy will set up a, a thing and then the comedian has a punchline. Right, right. You know? The whole thing's set up. It's all set up. And I get I mean, I've done lots of interviews on my show and I've had publicists set up, you know, filmmakers and actors and authors. And there's a list of questions for me to ask, which mm-hmm. I don't ever do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I never. I mean, they're there to talk about their movie. They're they're on my show to talk about their book or their movie. So I always want to, you know, honor that and, and talk sure. about their movie. They're, hey, it's going to be in theaters this coming Friday or whatever. Um, but uh, you like getting down the nitty gritty. Yeah. Well, you know, getting what's the real story there? What what is the human element? How do uh-huh. how do you feel? <clears throat> how do these things make you feel? And then to communicate those feelings. Okay, you've done your interview. You've um, practiced being an interviewer. Maybe you can even practice uh, in real life with people when you're sitting across the table from them and ask them thought-provoking questions and um, kind of maybe it will almost feel uncomfortable. Do you ever feel uncomfortable asking some of these questions? Well, there are times. Well, uh, you know, one thing I didn't say last week was that part of the interview process is I'm praying Mm -hmm. as I'm doing it. I'm praying. God, show me what to say. You know, ask, give me guidance. And I'll do that a lot with 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 guy friends when we're sitting across the table. Sure. And there are times where I'll say, do you mind if I ask you a you know, personal question? Do you mind talking about, you know, this? And so we'll get into some heavy, heavy subjects. Um, and there have been times where people have said things and it's it's made me wonder. And I'll say, you know, do you mind if I ask you, were you ever abused as a child? You know, mm. something that was, you, you know, and then um, the responses have been. You know, I've never talked about this, and, you know, but yeah. so just asking that question, being being sensitive and aware yeah. is so important and also being in prayer about it. You know, sometimes God will I mean, we both believe God is real and that he communicates to us and that he, you know, loves us and guides us. And so mm. I I completely felt on Show Me the Father. God was sure was guiding me through that. Absolutely. Which was a huge part of the interview process as well. But uh yeah, that that's a that's a big part of it is is in those times we talked about last week. Don't be that guy who sits across the table and just talks about themselves and never asks a question. Mm-hmm. How are you? How's your marriage? How are you doing? How are your kids? How you know, yeah. why do you like that job? What are you doing? You know, what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? How does that make you feel? Um, those are important questions to ask. And we talked last week about how give me information, that's one thing. How you feel about that information is another thing. And so you can do that. You can do that in your in your relationships, in your friends, when you're going out to lunch with someone. And I'll tell you what, when you have those kinds of questions mm-hmm. with your lunch buddy, I have a lunch buddy. We get together every every two weeks. And when you ask somebody something like that, you know, and you talk about something that was deep or hurtful or painful in their life, boy, does that strengthen your relationship? I sure. mean, what a great friendship! And you're it's the kind of friends where you. You can talk to them about anything. They can talk to you about anything. But you have to pay attention. You have to ask. You Mm -hmm. have to. And so having that in your own personal relationships is a great skill to have when you're when you're interviewing people. Yeah. To be engaging, to be open, to be someone that is safe, that does. They don't feel like you're being judged when Mm -hmm. you're asking questions and Mm -hmm. having that person feel safe with you. And the gold happens when you get them connecting to something that they haven't connected with before Mm -hmm. or they're discovering something that they didn't know about themselves or that maybe they've never talked about before Mm -hmm. when you get that on camera that's Mm -hmm. that's gold 
And I would, I would maybe suggest, I don't know if this is, I'm just kind of making this up on the spot here, but if, if you find yourself, you love documentary filmmaking, you love filmmaking, you're maybe a great shooter, great editor, um, but you maybe are just naturally lacking this ability, finding a partner in a business sense that maybe is better relationally could be a great asset for you if you want to go into documentary filmmaking. Maybe, like I said, you're, you're, you, you lack that relational element. And it's just really hard for you to get super deep. If you have a friend or you know somebody who, who you could literally hire to come in and be an interviewer, you, you feed them the direction and the theme of your documentary. You have this very relational, almost, I mean, honestly, you could probably find a therapist or a counselor and hire them to be an interviewer for your documentary. That might be a, a good asset for you as a storyteller i don't know i just thought it would of that. be i mean a big part of the director's a big part of the directing mm-hmm. and the writing is the the interview and that's a big part of it totally is is how you do the interview and you 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 are very blessed in that you have that skill you have the storytelling skill the audio skills you know all these things not everybody has all these talents um i would say obviously a lot of the best directors do but um you know, David Fincher, for example, he's a world-renowned director. He's never written a single film. He always hires and works with writers, you know, and then he directs the film. So you don't have to have all these skill sets. Uh, Steve Jobs famously had Steve Wozniak, who was the computer genius, mm-hmm. and then Steve sold the computers. Sure. You know? Did he ever? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so Absolutely. Um, yeah, I would just look at therapists on YouTube. There's a great, I just thought of it while we were talking, Noisy, the YouTube channel, Noisy, N-O-I-S-E-Y. They have a, a whole series called The Therapist. I think I may have sent you some. They've interviewed rock stars and rappers. And The Therapist like gets really deep. He's like, why do you sing about these topics? One of my favorite ones is with Corey Taylor from Slipknot. He's the singer of Slipknot. And he was abused and had all these things. And The Therapist gets really under that. Because at first he's like, why do you sing about all these terrible things? And he's like, I don't know. And then he gets into it sure. and he's like, oh, actually I was abused. You know, right. And there's a lot of good research online on YouTube to, if you want help on how to interview. That's And the reason we're staying on this topic for so long is because it's such an important key ingredient to the storytelling of documentaries. That's the thread line of the whole thing. And therapy, I mean, it really is like a therapy session in a lot of ways when you're when you're interviewing people and they're telling about their situation or their story but you're helping them process because mm-hmm. again I keep coming back to that how you feel about it is a whole different conversation than what happened and many of your beauty piece films on music artists or whatever is oh this album was so great then they made this record then they made this record then they made that record and boy aren't they good boy they're so good you know and they never get into the well, the Rick Rubin, Paul McCartney uh, yes. series on Hulu was wonderful because Rick Rubin really got deep on like, what made you think to, he interviewed Paul McCartney. Like, how did you, why, wh- nobody would think of I love this, that. You know? That was, that was so good. I, I, I binged that I couldn't <laughs> stop watching it. It was so great. But he, he was asking the right questions that any musician would die sure, to ask yeah. Paul. Oh, I've, it's so funny because if I was going to have an hour with Paul or two hours with Paul, like what he was talking about. That's what I would want to talk about. Why that baseline was totally out of left field. Mm-hmm. No one was doing that. What, where, where were you when you were doing, you know, what made you think of that? You <laughs> yeah. know, but, 
But uh, but he also was constantly affirming Paul. Everything he would say he was nodding along, paying close attention. Obviously, he's Paul McCartney, so I think anybody would be happy to be well, no, looking in his eyes. But see, that's where uh, a music producer, a record producer, where I did produced uh, artists, yeah. and a director. You see a lot of those people. A lot of music producers will become directors, sure, because it's the same skill set. You have to be, you've got an artist, you're trying to get the best performance out of that artist, yeah. and the way you do that isn't by being negative or critical towards them and getting them all self-conscious. Mm-hmm. You're, you're constantly going, that was so good, that was great. And so I'll say that a lot when I'm interviewing, you know, like if, if they're having to focus, hey, can you hang on a second, I just got to get this in focus, or I need to change this card, or whatever. Yeah. Throughout, I'll stop, I'll say, you're doing such a good job, this is so good. And invariably, they go, is it? Really? <laughs> yeah, they're 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 nervous. They're, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Tony Evans or whatever, and they're they're nervous. They're concerned. Is it? You know, am I doing good? Is this okay? Especially when you're interviewing just normal people who sure. aren't used to being in front of the camera. Sure. That's where you really have to pour it on. You totally. Know, you're doing great. You're doing <clears throat> such a good job. Stephen told me something that was really interesting. He Stephen said, Kendrick. Stephen Kendrick. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. He said, uh, a celebrity you want to treat like a normal person, and a normal person you want to treat like, like a, celebrity. a celebrity. That's great. That's a great idea. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. want to make a normal person feel like they're a celebrity. Uh-huh. But if it's a celebrity, you just want to, you just want to talk to them like they're a normal person. Yeah, yeah, You don't want to throw it on with them because they get that all the time. Yeah. And so that really – that was such good uh, – helped me as well. So thank you so much for doing this. Oh, what an honor to be here with you. You know, just some normal guy, right? Sure, sure, sure. And you're, they're going, really? An <laughs> honor? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being here with your cameras. You know, oh, you're doing such a good job. So that's so important mm. to to help them feel comfortable. Is that affirmation feeling? You know, feeling they're not being judged by you, and 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 you're giving this eye contact, and you're showing concern when they're when something's going on that they're talking about something serious. But then finding that way to dig a little deeper. Mm. You know, how did that feel? Or Wow, you know, did you did you ever have any? You know, maybe even you bring up a, a, a serious question. Did you ever yeah. have any abuse as a child? Yeah, you know, I mean, get them to see where they'll go or whatever the topic is. You know, sure. Not that that's what you're going to well, do. A lot of <laughs> yeah, yeah. On. <laughs> well, I I was an intern one time here in Nashville for a production company that did higher production music videos and and stuff. And we did we shot a music video for uh, One Republic, and. I was literally just a, a, a PA on that uh, because I was interning for them. And the only reason I took that job was because I just wanted some set time, some real like movie set experience. And the director, I noticed the thing that really stood out to me that, and everybody loved him and he was very successful here in Nashville. The, the reason he was so successful and I noticed this was like, he was behind camera looking at One Republic, these superstars, and the whole time they were singing their music video, it's like, yes, oh my gosh, yes, amazing, wow, yes, you look so good, just over and over and over. Right. And I was like, this is over the top, but these guys who are performing, they're like singing their heart out, they're like being these performers, and behind the camera, this guy is just pumping them up, you know, right. just like a, just like an athlete needs a coach to just be like, applauding them you can do it go 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 get him yeah and uh that's the extreme version obviously a music video they're not recording the audio so he can't but you want that high energy on a music video i mean that was a great director he's he's getting what he needs so as a doing a documentary yes what does it do i need i need real i don't need phony Mm -hmm. i need deep and i need thoughtful and uh or or informational or whatever it is i want to create an environment 
that's mm-hmm. comfortable for that. And people mirror what you're doing. So by you nodding along, by you getting emotional while they get emotional, you're encouraging them to be emotional because they're mirroring what you're doing. If you were like looking at your phone as they're saying something real emotional, they'll just kind of like trail off and look up into the sky and then kind of be like, oh, he doesn't care, you know? And it's so important also to, like you said, like be very positive. If they say something that you weren't really wanting, you don't say, ah, I don't want to talk about that or eh, we don't need that. You say, great, that's great. And what? how did that make you feel? Right. Or, and now can we talk about blank? You know, it, it's never, you're just adding on top of what they give you. You don't ever negatively say like, oh yeah, I don't need that. You know, let's not talk about that, you know, right. or whatever. Exactly. Right? And, and, I noticed I it, it, I really paid attention to this on this last movie because as I've done five, you know, I've I've gotten I've gotten better. I mean, uh-huh. I've, I've learned a few things. That I, I hope didn't you know. would. Yeah, and, and and again, I had no training. You know, I had no idea what I'm even doing this for. But after doing five, I've learned you know a couple of things, and so I, you can also help connect dots for people. Like for instance, yeah. Stephen Kendrick in the movie Show Me the Father was talking about he had adopted uh, his daughter from China. And on the way back from the plane, it was the longest, it was the longest 12 hour flight ever. She's crying. She doesn't know, you know, and he said to her, he said, she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know she's Mia Elizabeth Kendrick. You know, she doesn't know who she is. Mm -hmm. And so as he's saying that, I'm connecting. Wow. That's so many, that's been me. Mm-hmm. I don't know who I am so many times. I don't really know that God's my father and I don't mm-hmm. really know. So I'm able to connect with him a, a part of my own story. And I'm able to say, you know, there's so many people who don't know who they are. Yeah, They don't know that God is their father. And I, I've struggled with that. And they don't know that there's a loving father for them. And they don't know how to deal with that, you know, mm-hmm. and they're functional orphans. Right. Mm-hmm. So I said that word to him. I said, would you mind commenting on that? So then he then basically repeats what I just said mm-hmm. uh, in his own words and adds things to it. And of course, you know, sure. many times Stephen Kendrick would make it way better because he's really good at that. But I was able to help him functional orphan. You know, mm-hmm. that was something I was able to communicate to him. And then he said it. And now it's in the film. Sure. So and when help you're, it, when help you're it, on, sorry, I was going to say when you're on camera, too, you, you kind of blank out sometimes. Like if you're the person on the lens with all the lights, there's all this pressure. Um, I've found becoming a YouTuber, even though I had experience as a performer, as a magician, as soon as the lens is on you, especially if there's people involved, just standing there waiting for you to perform, you kind of blank out your brain. So having that to help really, um, really, really helps. And and you can help then. That's part of the writing of a director, of of how he's writing or helping write that script. Uh, of the documentary is that I'm hearing something and I'm connecting it with the story that I would think is important for us to tell, mm-hmm. which was a huge part of this particular movie, Show Me the Father, which was uh, a big underlying theme of it was we we kind of the way we deal with our earthly fathers mm-hmm. is a, if we project that onto God and we struggle with God from some of our struggles we've had with our earthly fathers or we have uh, an easy time with God because our fathers were good at that particular thing. So, mm-hmm. um when I heard that, she doesn't know who she is and say, ooh, ooh, you know, so paying attention and <laughs> mm-hmm. then being able to help them connect some of those dots. And that's part of the conversation. It's yeah. not just I'm just asking questions. Sometimes I'm talking and sharing mm-hmm. my story mm-hmm. with them and then saying, can you comment on that? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 
that's more conversational and they feel then they feel sometimes I'll share real intimate things about myself mm-hmm. and then that makes it safe for them to do that. Yeah. Index cards. What do you think of when you think of index cards? Evil. <laughs> why is that? Why why are for index interview, cards evil for, the interview for you? Or or in the writing process. In the, so yeah, I mean now we're moving on to the editing writing process. Okay, at the after the interview. Yeah, after the interview. Oh, okay, okay. Index yeah. cards, yes. <laughs> so you have a thing with index cards. Yes, Let's I talk do. about that. Okay. So I I uh <laughs> I never knew how to I had never taken a class. You would think I would go on YouTube and watch a a tutorial on how to make a documentary, how to film. Sure. You would think I would do that, but I just the first time it came around I was just overwhelmed. I didn't know what I was doing. So mm-hmm. I was making it up as I went. Yeah. So we got all the interviews, I had them all transcribed. Mm-hmm. And then I went through all the transcriptions on paper, printed them all out had a huge stack and highlighted the things I thought we might need. And, and then for people who don't know, you can send your audio to a company and somebody meticulously sits there and types word for word with time code, yep. uh, everything in the, in the film, which I would not want that job. Um, yeah. but they do have tools like they'll have like a little foot pedal. So like as they're typing, they can push the foot pedal and it puts the time code and like, Oh nice. They can do things with their feet to like start, stop and type and stuff. Oh but, nice. Um, anyway, yeah, it's pretty cool, but I would still never want that job. Yeah, <laughs> but so, so I, would, I would I would get those those transcripts, highlight uh-huh. them, then I would pull all the highlights out. And this is all physical, by the way, with yep. a pin with and a pin. paper. About the third movie, I realized I can do this all on Word. Yeah, I don't yeah, have sure. to do it on paper. I like the paper or... because I could just take it with me wherever I was. Mm-hmm. I would go. What I would do a lot of times on a nice day, I'd go to the park. Yeah, and I would I would highlight at the park. Mm-hmm. You know, just a nice. Because, you know, you want to get out of your office sometimes. You, you go crazy in here. Yeah. Especially the three and a half months it takes to kind of write this thing. You're, totally. You're losing your mind. And, and it's just you. And you're all by yourself. And so getting out mm-hmm. a nice, you know, putting it on paper. But I found out I could put it on my Kindle. Uh-huh. And I could highlight it on the Kindle. Uh-huh. And then I would take all the highlights out and make another document of sure. just the highlights. Then I would highlight it again. Mm-hmm. Then I take all those out, put it on another document. Mm-hmm. Then I highlighted it again a third time. Uh-huh. Very time. And then I took them all, and then I put them on the index cards. Index cards. <laughs> and so I would put all these little fragments of, what, of of the of the things that were taken from the yeah. from the film. And on each index card, I would write where it was from, what interview it was from, and where to find it. You know, ten minutes and twenty three seconds. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I would put the index cards in an index card box mm-hmm. and I would maybe write out chapters. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking chapters and I'm going to have chapter headings mm-hmm. of my chapters. And then I would have little index card tabs that had those chapters and those chapter headings. Yeah. Then I started moving things around in my box. Physically. Physically <laughs> picking up, well, this part might go good here at the beginning. Well, no, maybe that would be good here. And I'm moving things around. So I'm kind of moving it in the index card box back and forth, forth and back. And I'm telling the whole story of my movie now yeah. inside a box. I didn't know that's called a paper edit. Mm-hmm. I sh- went for the Shonda Pierce, the uh, Laughing in the Dark movie. I met with a great editor in town named Andy Curris. I showed him everything I did. I brought all my my uh, transcripts in my index card box and I showed him. And he goes, you know, there's, 
they usually have a staff of about 20 people do this. You know that, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I go, no. Uh-huh. So this is called a paper edit. I mean, he had to tell yeah, me yeah. what it was. This Let's, is called a paper edit. Well, how else would they do The Bachelor and all these big shows? They shoot so much content. They have multiple producers who comb over all of it, and they do paper edits um, before the editor even gets it. Um, that's how you're able to do these multicam big shoots on a like weekly basis. Um, but yeah, we're talking a team of people that do that. Um, so it's crazy. But so paper edit, and then from there. Once I get my paper edit, then then I just build that. Sure. And that's our starting point. It's usually three hours and it's way too long and it's terrible and it looks and you go, oh, my gosh, what happened? This is terrible. We're in big trouble. And that's when you start, you know, calling. Yeah. Start actually editing. fine tuning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so then that's a whole other that's a whole other. Are there any other shows on editing? You know, <clears throat> other than moving things digitally on the Kindle, were there any changes? I mean, you've done five now. And I think you've still kind of kept that as your uh, formula for how you do it. Have you changed anything? Well, yeah, there's some new software that's come out. One's called Transcriptive. And so what it'll do is it will, in Premiere, it will sync a transcript to your interview. So it syncs it. So if I want to search for the line, let's say, like, for instance, he said the word go, but you couldn't understand it. Uh So I just want to search and find how many times he says the word go. And find a good go and take the audio and dub it in. Gotcha. Right? All I got to do is type in the word go and there it is. So, so yeah. easy doing it that way. You can find really great way to move around. Anyway, we've awesome. gotten into editing now, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Well, speaking of go, I think we do need to go soon. But to finish uh, our conversation on uh, part two here, audio versus video, I think that's something that a lot of people don't really realize how crucial audio is for uh, a documentary you can have bad video and you you can make it but Mm -hmm. if you've got bad audio you're done Mm -hmm. why is that why is that you think well because if it sounds terrible and you can't understand them Mm -hmm. it's just it's there's it's like why is it there Mm -hmm. Um, you have to do a dub you have to have a a, you know closed caption closed caption underneath Uh, so you can't have a whole interview with that you just can't do it now you can have an interview that's ugly and you can cover it with B-roll, <laughs> yeah. right? And there's all these places you can go online to get B-roll that looks pretty darn good. And yeah. so you can you can cover everything mm-hmm. all day long, but it's got to sound good. So that's so crucial is getting good audio is more important than getting good video. Not that getting good video isn't important. Sure. Lighting, video, all that stuff. That's all great. Mm-hmm. But audio is is key. Audio is king. Absolutely. And again, that's it just ties into your success with this with no experience of being an audio professional for so many years as a music producer. You already had the equipment. You already had the understanding of how to capture good audio. Um, And so, yeah, if you're shooting a documentary, even if you're shooting on your phone, which is totally doable now, did you know the new iPhone 13 can shoot ProRes HQ 4K 10-bit 444 on an iPhone? Well, we're out of time. Make sure you have good audio, even if you're shooting on an iPhone. That's the end of my little statement there. That's it. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Dave, for doing this. Oh, you're so welcome. It's my pleasure. Fantastic. And, yes, you can find out more about Dave Mays going to – Polar Pro Podcast. Yeah, Golden uh, Hour Podcast. Gold, the Golden Hour Podcast. Sorry about that. Polar Pro is the company that owns it. Yeah. The Golden Hour Podcast. Dave, where can they find more info on you? Uh, just go to twitter.com slash Dave Mays or Instagram, Dave Mays. M-A-Z-E. M-A-Z-E. David, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. All right. So I was going to say, okay, yeah, clapping. Can we fi- finish our conversation for my show?
Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're finishing the conversation. Yep. Yep, yep. So um, we're still – now we're on the Golden Hour Podcast. Hello, everybody. You've been listening so far. It's like a two birds with one stone situation where we used my dad's two radio shows – in this episode of Golden Hour, but now it, we don't care about the radio show, like in terms of timing. So we can finish this conversation without any. You do this whole thing. This is crazy. You have a timer on your phone, and you you don't want to edit, so you just you start it, and then after twenty five minutes is up. It's like, well, even though we're talking about something important, don't care. We're done. We're done. <laughs> You bet. <laughs> Which is completely opposite of what you were just well, saying about interviewing. <laughs> I don't I don't get paid to do the radio show. And so it's like You don't get paid anymore? I thought they paid you a little bit. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. With COVID, I'm 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 not getting okay. paid. So I've I've always thought it was hilarious how like you you do I've listened to a lot of your radio shows and like somebody may be talking about something nope. big and you're like, "Well, uh we're out, we're out of time and uh <laughs> i'm not gonna edit sit there because i mean because I, I i yeah spent a lot of time in the early days i mean hours and hours trying to okay let's say like i'm three four minutes over yeah i gotta find three four minutes to cut out that's the problem with radio oh with podcasts it doesn't matter at all it's just a file audio file but so. you gotta find that time to cut out or and not. That takes that take. Well, no, I gotta give. I have to deliver twenty six minutes. Well, that, well, yeah. I'm saying for radio shows, I have to. So my dad, he has a radio show on like actual old fashioned analog radio. Eighty nine point one FM, eleven ten a in Nashville. You know, yeah. it's in Nashville. It's in Kentucky. It's in Alabama. So you know, I'm on the radio, and yeah. I have to. It's twenty six <laughs> minutes, and that's it. And that's with my intro, outro, everything. Have you ever thought about just? Doing a podcast and then cutting it off at 25 and then telling people, if you want to listen to the rest, go to rickhaltizer.com and listen to the podcast. Well, then I'd have to edit. Well, you just add, <laughs> then you just cut, you just cut your short, your interview to 25 minutes and then you put the, the end bumper. If you would like to continue listening, go to rickhaltizer.com. That also encourages people to go to your website. Maybe they buy something or they sign up for a newsletter. I haven't thought of that. Then that way your interviews can stay more natural. You don't have to cut it off every, although it makes it more efficient though. That's why Christopher Nolan still wants to shoot on film for everything because he says the actors perform better when they hear the tick, 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 because the, every film strip going through the camera is money being spent and it's just this focus. I mean, our interview was really hyper focused because I knew I only had 25 minutes. And I like that. Yeah. Because sometimes when I'm listening to a podcast and it's an hour and 20 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, there's like 30 minutes of that that didn't need to be there. <sighs> But you're not. I feel like you're not a podcast listener. I listen to two, three-hour episodes all the time. I know, but I, I conversational. You know, it's hard for me to. I, you know, I appreciate if somebody can get it in in thirty, forty minutes. Yeah. I appreciate that because it's hard for me to sit down for an hour and twenty minutes to do anything. Sure, that's the skill of the interviewer or the 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 hosts. You know, try to keep it moving, keep it interesting. Yeah. Um, but Joe Rogan will talk for four hours, and half of it's not interesting, but he gets five million views per episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, that just isn't – I'm not interested in being a podcaster. You know, I, I do, yeah, sure. I'm doing documentaries. And so in a documentary, I do a three-hour interview, no problem. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you, you just – the way you solve it is you do three-part episodes. So it's like if you have an hour-long conversation with Stephen Kendrick, you'll just do a, Cut it. a three-parter. Cut it. Say, hey, can we – You know, <laughs> that gives you content for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, I interviewed Tim Mahoney, a filmmaker, uh, yeah, yeah, Patterns yeah. of Evidence, just did that last week uh-huh. the last two weeks 
Same thing. You have 25 minutes. Hey, can we do next part two? Just like we did here. Can we it's, do part two? It's an easy ask too, because it's less time. Got two shows. Yeah. Boom. So it's like that. Um, theatrical releases. What's the deal with that? You've had these Fathom events, but this is your first theatrical. And now we have the benefit of uh, the last time I talked to you, the film was coming out. Now the film has come out. It ran its course and now it's out. Right. What was that like uh, putting the Show Me the Father movie in theaters? And this one, this time it was like the real deal. Like a it regular was, theatrical. It, it was Sony put it out. A Fathom event, for those who don't know what a Fathom event is, Fathom events are uh, a- AMC, Cinemark, and Regal Cinemas got together, created a company called Fathom. Mm-hmm. And they have events. They don't have movies because that would be, you know, conflicting with their with their clients. Yeah. So they'll show the Bolshoi Ballet for one night or the Metropolitan Opera, you know, or and, yeah. and you've been to the movies and you've seen those ads, you know, September the 31st, September the 12th, whatever. Nutcracker. Nutcracker. Right. For this one night, one night only. Or sometimes it's two nights. So two, and it's sure. usually like a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. An off day. Yeah, yeah, it's usually in there. They don't do weekends. And so that's just to help them fill seats. And so I've had four Fathom events, which were on for two nights mm-hmm. and uh, one showing each night. So 7 p.m. on October the 3rd, we're showing the movie. Get all your fans. If you're a so everybody, comedian or a yep. Dave Ramsey will do it, you know. Everybody has to go. And, I, you know, I've had it in 800 theaters, you know. I mean, it, they've been good. good. It's but, cool. But it's if you can't make it Tuesday night at 7 or Thursday night at 7, that's it. Sure. You know, it's only showing twice. Whereas what this was, Sony put it in uh, 1,100 theaters, you know, five shows a day, mm-hmm. seven days a week. So that's the first time I've had a main theatrical. My son release. and I went and saw a Paw Patrol movie, and there it was, the poster for Show Me the Father, right next to Paw Patrol. Come on. <clears throat> so. Hey, well, we, we only... We, we ride with the best. Yeah, that's right. Paw Patrol. And one thing that... <laughs> one interesting antidote about the modern day of 2021 post-COVID, pre, or not pre, but like, you know, COVID's still going on and um, people are going to the movie theaters, but it's still kind of happening. People are not wanting to go to the theaters. Right. You know, especially, you mentioned if it's a, a Marvel movie or a Paw Patrol movie, people are going. If it's for 20 and under, you know, they're doing well. But if anything that's made for an audience 20 and up is suffering just mm-hmm. about across the board. Because older, uh, I feel like older audiences, there may be a COVID angle to it. Like they There definitely is. They feel, us. they feel unsafe. But also, even beyond that, maybe you've just grown comfortable with streaming. It's gotten so good. Never in history have more people had larger screens in their home to watch right. movies. COVID changed how people watch media Mm -hmm. it really changed things and disney and all these people have really in the last two years have really upped the game and we're seeing so much more now netflix i'm hearing something a billion dollars what is it a billion a month they're spending on content i've heard something like that i wouldn't be surprised you know which is unbelievable Uh, i'd heard that i don't know if that's true or not um don't quote me on that but (laughs) yeah so there we we saw that with our our film release we were the number eight movie in america for the two weeks we had a two-week full run Mm -hmm. uh, at 100 at 1100 theaters and Mm -hmm. then we had another week week and a half two weeks at about 680 theaters Mm -hmm. um and so we were number eight for those two weeks pretty much solid eight which was great you know that was fine but the the box office was I would say easily a fourth of what they were hoping. Just mm-hmm. um, it's currently now, as we're having this conversation, it's going to be going to Latin America. It's in Mexico and Singapore now. Cool. 
end of the month it's going to Latin America, and then it's going to Brazil sometime, I don't know. So there's still more to do. Before uh, it hits streaming services. Before, Yeah, then it's going to go to streaming, and then uh, they're going to try to do churches, you know, get it into churches. And then the DVD is coming out. Uh, for Christmas? For Christmas, yeah. Cool. Definite DVD for Christmas. And we've got so, yeah. some cool special features on that. If you haven't seen it and you want to support um, this type of content, then get the DVD um, and whip out your old Xbox so that you can watch a DVD. Uh, got I'm, it. It got an A plus cinema score for those. That's the, the other thing I was going to get to. So yeah, exp- what's a cinema score exactly? It's uh, cinema. That's that's uh, the one of the executive producers, Alex Kendrick, called me and said, "Congratulations, you you got an A plus cinema score." I went, "Oh great, what's that?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a big deal. Uh, he said, "It is what he said." He said, uh, "The most prestigious thing a director can get is an Academy Award, but the second most prestigious thing they can get is an A plus cinema score." Cinema score is a company that. Uh, is hired by the movie companies. And so on opening weekend, they will survey moviegoers across the country uh, for your movie. And so oh, okay. on opening weekend, they say this is these are the most interested viewers for this film. So it's based on the viewers of the film, not critics or no. anything. It's based on people walking out of the movie with guys with a clipboard. Yeah. And and it's opening weekend. So mm-hmm. it's it's viewers who wanted to see that movie. You know, they're going sure. to see that movie. So it isn't like they've had time for there to be word of mouth. There's no word of mouth. There's none of that. How many of the other Kendrick movies had high ratings? They've had three. Okay. This all makes sense when you understand Christian movies. Mm-hmm. Everybody that sees the movie is a fan and they're all supporting it. They're all they're bringing churches. And, and, and what it says is to the, what that's, what that's telling the movie companies is you've communicated your marketing very well. Yeah. They, they, were wanting to see something and they saw it. They were satisfied. And one to two movies a year get an A+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg's had two. Scorsese's mm-hmm. had none. Mm-hmm. Um, James Cameron's had two. Uh, oh, uh, Rob Reiner has had three. <laughs> that makes sense. And the only other director's had three has been Alex Kendrick. Okay. But he's yeah. the only one who's had three in a row. Again, it makes sense. when you think about the audience, it makes yeah. sense. They're they're diehard fans. You yeah, know? and so courageous, war room and overcomer, three in a row, all got A pluses, and that's uh, cool. And the Irwin brothers have had two. They've had two, mm-hmm. uh, and and I've had one. That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> so two movies this year, only two have had an A plus. One was Summer of Soul, which was a documentary on. Uh, 1969 they had like oh, yeah. a, a Woodstock of uh, a soul music Woodstock was that, it, that got filmed and nothing ever happened with it. What's the guy from uh Quest Roots? Quest Love. Yeah, you told me about that film. You said it was and great. So that was the first documentary ever to get an A plus cinema score. Cool. Ever. Cool. Was that. And then the second <laughs> film to get an A plus cinema score this year was Show Me the Father. Another documentary. So, you know, our documentaries are we going to start seeing more documentaries in theater? The audiences are saying, hey, we like this. We yeah. really enjoy documentaries. And so, I mean, I think it's an interesting story. Maybe we'll see more. I think in the they started in 78, and there's been 80 films that have had an A+, plus since 1978. Cool. So Spielberg, uh, E.T. was the first. Oh, wow, yeah. Then, then Gandhi, then Rocky, you know, had Titanic. All these other movies have been A-pluses, but... Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was congratulations. That was yeah, that's that was awesome. Neat. That was that's super cool. Yeah. Um, 
unfortunately, unlike an Oscar, that doesn't mean your rate goes up necessarily. But well, that's what I asked Al. Says, does this mean I make more money on the next one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, an A plus cinema score. I guess it does. Con- it just again, it proves that people are are fans of the product. So yeah, um, that's something that YouTube has been doing with um, their videos. If you finish watching a video, they'll give you a survey. Are you after watching this video? Were you satisfied? Yes, I was satisfied watching this video, or no, I was not satisfied. And that's a metric that AI cannot predict. There's so many things that their AI predicts in terms of viewership and watch time and this and that, click-through rate. But one thing that a robot can't figure out is if a human enjoyed it and came away satisfied. So they're literally just prompting people, after watching this video, were you satisfied? And that's becoming a metric that YouTubers are having you think about is like now we we you really can't make a video based off of what a robot wants anymore. It was like that about a year ago. You just do all the right things, check the boxes, the robot just sends it out, gets millions of views. Now you really have to optimize for humans, not robots, because if you make a video, you trick somebody into watching it, and then they at the end of it they're not satisfied. Like that was clickbait. There was nothing there that gave me any value. I'm not satisfied. Then they're not going to show it to anybody. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's an A plus cinema rating. Uh, yeah, and you know, so they go from A plus to F minus. So that gives them a good. <laughs> yeah. that gives them a good range to know. And then that helps the movie companies then know. Okay, our opening weekend we got this score. Mm-hmm. Do we do we pump more money into it or do we back off? Yeah. You know, our audiences aren't re- aren't responding to this well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scorsese doesn't like it. He says it shouldn't be based on a score. You know, it's it's artistic and it shouldn't be based on what people think. Well, what does that mean? That's silly. That means he hasn't gotten an A plus yet. <laughs> and he's upset about it. I don't know what it means. He's but. an auteur. He, he's, uh, there is the artist mentality too. Is like, he's just going to make whatever he wants because he's an artist and he's going to make it. And there's things in his movies that are purposely there to disturb you, you know? And he's guess, going. Yeah. He's going. You know, I'm not really trying to make you happy all the time. I'm. I, I'm. I'm going to. And there's things I'm going to put in here that will disturb you. Oh yeah, sure. You know, and so maybe you're not going to give me an A plus. But does that mm-hmm. mean then he's afraid then that filmmakers are going to be chasing that and you know whatever. I don't sure. know what is. I don't know. What he's his, also his famously said that Marvel movies are just theme park rides. Right. But which is true. I agree with sure. that. Yeah, but it's a great ride. Yeah, it's a great ride. He's yeah. not saying it's bad. It's just yeah. you know the movies yeah. he makes are are artistic yeah. pieces. So you know. Anyways, um, to kind of finish this conversation out, anybody who's listening to this who wants to be a, a documentary filmmaker themselves, where do they start? I mean, we got the I, we got YouTube, we got Vimeo, we got all these great things. Uh, theatrical is such a far-reaching thing, and it's kind of a dying art form in and of itself. I don't know if anybody should really be aspiring, unless you're really, really passionate to do theatrical documentaries. It's such a niche. How do people start doing documentary films? Well... I, I had a was at a, a film festival a few months ago and had a little roundtable with a bunch of young filmmakers. And yeah. this is this is the advice I gave to them. Just go make it. You know, uh, that's that's how I was able to get started. I went and did 16 minutes. I just mm-hmm. went and made it. Mm-hmm. You got an iPhone, you got a you got a camera. Mm-hmm. You you can get for, you know, you can get a little Zoom H1 for 100 bucks and a little lavalier, put it on somebody and get some mm-hmm. good audio and just Go make it with an iPhone or whatever you got. Sure. Just put it together. Just do it mm-hmm. and see what happens. Um, it's so hard to get somebody interested or to support you or to come alongside of you and help you just with an idea. Mm-hmm. Give them something they can see. So start making things, putting them up on YouTube, 
getting them up on YouTube. I mean, you did that. You did something on on our uncle, mm-hmm. uh, Uncle Bobby. Uncle Bobby. And you did a thing on him, and you put it up on Vimeo. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, it's a staff pick. And the next thing you know, you're getting calls from from companies. Hey, would you send something to us? We might want to hire you to you know give you yeah. a bunch of money to make a, a, a commercial for us. You know, so yeah. Uh, and the only way that happened was because you made something. Mm-hmm. You just did it. So that's my best advice for somebody who wants to do this is just do it. Yes. And be okay with maybe it's not perfect. Be okay mm-hmm. with that. Well, maybe it's not great. Okay. Be all right with that. Make another one. <laughs> Make another one. Keep Just do it. You know, mm-hmm. that's the best advice I can give you. Yeah. And sometimes that may mean um, saving up some money and doing it as a passion project. Um I think a lot of times people may get wrapped up in the money aspect is like, I'm not going to make anything. So what's the, pro-, you know, the, th- when I was d- doing weddings, I found myself just in the cycle of shooting weddings week after week after week. And it wasn't until I realized that, well, the only reason I'm only do, I don't want to shoot weddings. I want to do other things, but I don't have anything to show for anything else. So I started just doing what I actually wanted to do making little short films and music videos. And then guess what? All of a sudden people started hearing about it and seeing it. And I got hired to sh- do a real music video. I got hired to do it instead of aspiring to do it. So um, you want to put out there into the world what you want to do. And y- y- a lot of times you kind of have to pay your dues to do that. And by making it, if you want to do documentary films, but you're doing something else t- uh, to pay your bills, that's fine. You can Uber, you can work at Starbucks to pay your bills or shoot weddings in my case, but make a documentary on your own um, in your spare time. Put it out there. Put it out in the world. Uh, shop it around, and then just just keep going. You know. Yep, that's how you do it. You never know. You have to just build it. Mm-hmm. You know. And you learn. You yeah, learn you by learn by doing that too. Exactly. Well, Rick Altizer, aka Dad, thanks for being on the Golden Hour Podcast. You're such a great interviewer. You're so talented. I love your show. Listen to your show. <laughs> Thank you. Big fan. Big we had fan. a we had another family episode last week with oh that was awesome with Matthew and uh, Mama. So. That was so great. That was so good. I loved it. <laughs> that was but great. thanks thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having well having me on your show, and then thanks for coming on my show. It was a two birds with one stone loved situation. Awesome. It.